here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned. Imagine. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the musician-singer Gemma Townley, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff was in the band Blue Boy, who were on Sarah Records, and has recently started doing some live dates with Paul Stewart from the band again, mainly connected to a new book that has just come out on Sarah Records that's been written by Jane Duffus called These Things Happen, the Sarah Records Story, which is available from all good bookshops and also online. And also her website, I'll give you the link in the notes below. Also, the Blue Boy Material is available on Bandcamp and very recently the Precious Recordings of London have issued or reissued their John, John Peel session that they did in the 90s and I'll also put that link in the notes below. Anyway, this is the interview with Gemma. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to the exciting subject that was the early formative years. Gemma, it's over to you. I had lots of musical awakenings. So the the first um actually I just I just told you that my first the first actual record I bought was um Cult, She Sells Sanctuary. But that I did own my the first record I owned was um the the tremendous, I think 70s, 80s band called the Dooleys, who would they wore flares and had roller skates, and I was about seven um at a really cheesy cheese and wine 70s party with my parents and and but I just remember I mean you know the Dooleys I don't think they're going to go down in the lexicon of kind of uber um indie bands um but just holding a record I remember that you know this was like a thing and I think that really stays with you that that music music now I mean I, I look at the way my children interact with music and it's 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 Spotify, it's streaming, it's it's just music is out there and it's to be listened to and it's it's brilliant. But when I was young, it was also to be owned. Um, and just going to record shops and finding things. And you know, I'd sometimes buy records just because of what they look like or what they I don't know, it's just the, the artwork, it told you so much about what was going to be inside, and then that was a, a huge surprise. Um, but I went through I went through a million different sort of identities really with music and music would infect who I felt like I was at the time you know so I did do the sort of the cult and the cure I went through a sort of very moody time that was when I was sort of 16 17 ish you know and I I just wanted to kind of dye my hair black and kind of um and then then I got massively into sort of bands like the Sundays um uh, I loved, I mean, actually, you know, quite, I love everything but the girl. I love this really simple, just beautiful songs. Um, I got massively into Lush, uh, Cocteau Twins, Jesus and Mary Chain. I love Nevada. I mean, I love music, actually. I, I, I could just listen I, to anything. I, I, I like folk music. I got, I was massively into Dylan and um, Joan Baez as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. I don't, I don't think there was, a band that sort of made me think wow um but pretty much any band including um 
Bowie. I, each each one I would get massively, massively. I'd buy a record and just play nothing but that album for you know several weeks and inhabit it and be it until I got the next one. Yes, and then I'd God, I know. We, change. We, we, we love <laughs> we love that consumption. Not that being consumed by that one one sort of uh, record for that period, especially if you were going to go and see them live. I do remember that kind of ritual of playing it endlessly and. Um, and then after seeing them in the live gig, sort of thinking, actually, I've had enough. I don't want to listen to that for a couple of years now. But at the time, you know, it was almost this kind of, it was almost too much. And then it was like, right, I can stop listening to that record. And also the excitement of a vinyl record of turning it over to playing side two, which all felt like, oh, my God, is this going to be any good? Am I, I'm going to have to discover a whole new set of six songs, which would be a bit too much. But um, Yeah, but, you know, and also inviting friends around to listen to a new record. You know, we would, we would, I remember queuing up to buy a record and then I'd be the one who'd bought it and someone else would have bought a different one. And, you know, just sitting around and, and playing that record in this kind of total silence and then discussing it afterwards and then playing it again. I mean, that was actually a thing that you did. And I think that's, I, I can't imagine that happening now. You know, the consumption of, of music is just changed so dramatically yes it was very tribal as well wasn't it there's some brilliant books by a guy called sam neil that have come out where there's all these different tribes from the 80s and um must admit i i hadn't realized there were quite so many there was obviously the obvious ones the indie the goth the shoe gays in the anarcho punks um but then there was all these other ones and it was all very like oh yes you do you wore this you listen to this you know and there was like mm. loads and loads <clears> and it's just mind-boggling but the one thing that I realized from that period especially the late 70s and early 80s that you couldn't sort of like flirt between the two you know it was like where I came from things like the yeah. mod stuff was an absolute no-no so it was a bit it was a bit rock and roll and status quo and heavy metal so mod was looked upon as being really like no no that I don't know it's really strange but you wouldn't admit to like in the beat or mirror in the bathroom, which is, seems strange now, isn't it? But you would just get beaten up by a Quo fan. So it's a tough life, isn't it? But that was back in, that was, <laughs> that was, that was 44 years ago. Things might have changed. But, you know, in rural East Anglia, it was still pretty much, you know, pretty hard. Were your parents at all yeah. musical? Were they of a generation that had slightly got into the Beatles and the Stones and people like that? So yeah, my father was, we, I mean, we listened to the Beatles all the time and actually they were my first love, I think. I, I've always sort of thought if I was on a desert island, it would be the Beatles. Because because they just the 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 it's such a broad, broad, broad canvas of music. So yeah, lots of um lots of Beatles. And my mother was more the sort of hippie. Um so through her I got into Bob Dylan, Joan Baez and a whole load of other stuff. Quite a lot of country. I love country music. Um, folk music so that was the sort of genesis and then I also so classical music was really big um, in my family we all played instruments and you know I was in choirs and orchestras and and all of this kind of thing um, so yeah I think I think music was just it was it was everywhere it was just a sort of constant thing and, and to your point about the tribal thing I remember that but I, I remember kind of I think it was probably less tribal. Like girls can be less tribal, I think, so, or could then somehow, because you can flit between, you know, <laughs> in my experience, I felt it was quite sort of, one could sort of move around a little bit. But 
but but yeah, you you were expected to sort of inhabit a I am this, you know, it's the shoegazing thing, and that is where you go, what you do, what you look like, what you talk about, all of those things. And I just always I just loved so many. I could, I, I loved it, but I also loved this, and I also loved that. So you know, I'd go to Reading Festival, but I wanted to go to WOMAD Festival as well, and I wanted to go here, and I wanted to go there, and I wanted to just do it all, yes. basically. Um, which I think now is a bit more possible, because it's everywhere, so you can just flit from you know genre to genre. Yes. Did you pick up on things like the? I don't know, that ritual of buying the NME or Melody Maker or John Peel or Janice Long. Was any of those channels kind of filtering? So John Peel, for sure. Um, Janice Long was absolutely... Um, she, I mean, I, I, she, I, I, I discovered um, Extraordinary Music through um, her radio show. And that's where I was tribal, actually. I was Melody Maker, not NME. And I can't tell you why. But I just, enemy just was not my paper, whereas Melody Maker sort of felt like it, it spoke to me. Yes, I think somebody just, who I was a bit older, said, oh, it's the enemy. So I probably just copied them in that slightly sheepy way that one does. In well, I, I think enemy was somehow cooler and harder. And I, I think I recognised even when I was, you know, trying my hardest to be cool, um, that I wasn't enemy cool. No. <laughs> I was, I was Melody Maker cool. Yes, well, I, if, I, if that. Yes, and, and um, now I look back at those papers, especially because they used to have three seven-inch singles on, didn't they? I think they used to have yeah. some really good little bits. Did you? Were you getting into as you as one is a bit angsty when one's a bit younger? Unlike now, where we're just much more relaxed, aren't we? Um, did you get into sort of cinema at that point in the eighties as well? Because there was a lot of cool films coming out, like Betty Blue and Diva, and then there was. Totally. Rosalind. Yeah, no, I, I was massively. Jim Jarmusch, I loved all his films. Um, I, I, I remember my brother-in-law teasing me because if I was ever going to the cinema, um, he'd kind of go, so I'm, I'm assuming it's Russian with French subtitles in black and white, you know. Um, but there were so many brilliant films. So, I mean, I remember the Japanese film. It's, these films are embedded in my brain more probably than anything I've seen in the last 20 years. Japanese film called Tampopo. Oh, yes. Absolutely extraordinary. I don't know if you remember that one. Babette's Feast. Babette's. A lot of them around oh, food. Yes, yes Babette. Food and sex and kind of the end of the world. And, you know, yeah, absolutely. But, but Jim Jarmusch, so I mean. So it was down by law, wasn't it? Strange, down by law. Than you paradise. scream ice cream, we all scream for ice cream. And, and you know, Tom Waits. And I was just, it was it was very filmmakery films. Um, but, yeah, and, and I would think nothing of sort of traversing London and, you know, spending two hours getting to, because it was on a, you know, screen in the green or the film, you know, the film I wanted to see, it was very much, you found the film and then, you know, I guess, you know, we had time back then. We had time. Um, we had more time than we could do. Yes, I forgot Babette's Feast, but yes, I remember sitting around watching that one. And there was another one which probably came out in the early 90s. Is it Jesus from Montreal as well? There was a... <gasps> Montreal. Oh, I love that film. It was all these, I love all that all these film. films. What happened to that guy? He was so cool, wasn't he? And so dramatic. I know. And, I know. Um, yeah. I know. He, he really all, was. He gives all his body deep parts to other people like Christ. It was yeah. so brilliant. But yes, I love yeah. I love the Jim Jim movie. The allegory. Yes, yeah, no, it was. And and then there was all the Juliet Binoche, Three Colours Blue. Christ, of course. Um Three Colours Blue, Red and White, yes. I think. I got, um, I got the blue. I, I think I struggled after that. 
it's I mean it's it's all very the thing is I think so I used to read as well and the the stuff I was reading it's in exactly the same show so I read all the Russians and the French and you know it's kind of Sartre and Dostoevsky and oh my god did you uh, read the cancer ward then (laughs) well the the thing is did you read Slaughterhouse Five as well yeah but when you're a teenager it's a bit like when you're a teenager you can go on the most ridiculous fairground rides you know you you take your life in your hands and you go on these roller coasters that that you know I I can't do it anymore and in the same way I can't access those things I can't feel as deeply as I would as a teenager and I I think when you're a teenager you, you both feel everything far 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 more but you also have a slightly not desensitized but you can sort of it's like you can watch horror films, you know. You you can you can throw yourself onto the roller coaster and and, and go back, and you don't actually you don't have a sense of your own mortality. I think is what it is. So you can access really deep, dark film, music, books, whatever. Whereas now, I mean, I tried reading, um, rereading um, Camus, the the L'Etranger, the the Stranger, which. Uh, and it's basically this kind of very existentialist, you know, guy who's contemplating. I, I, I love that book when I was young, and and I read it about ten years ago, and I found myself just kind of get a move, <laughs> sort yourself out, put your socks yes, up. Come on, we haven't all got all day, it, have we? Come on, hurry up, come on. Yeah, you know, just for goodness' sake, just stop being so completely self-obsessed and thinking it so deeply, and you know, just come on. And I think that's just it, desperate, but it's age. You know, you, you just, I, I won't travel two and a half hours to go and watch a film anymore. I've no, got time. I know. Like, but, give uh, it to me now and, you know, move on. And, and yeah, so I think I think those years are just extraordinary. Um, yeah. I think it was, a, it was what, I remember David Bowie and Lemmy were born in the same year. And they both, when they were asked this kind of question, who, who were you influenced by? It was always Little Richard and then it was Buddy Holly and uh, Eddie Cochran and, all those kind of people, and and both of them, especially Lemmy, would say, "Well, you, you know, you could only be that age once, and that's the music that so consumes you that people could yeah. say, listen to this new stuff,' and you go, it is good, but that's I'm not that 16 year old anymore where it has that same yeah. effect of watching Paris, Texas, or the one about this city. Is it based in Berlin with the angels kind of over people's shoulders? <laughs> Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire. Wings of Desire. It's a wonderful yeah. film. And, yeah, and all those. And I, I do remember trying to watch one of those. Bush is the one with the German actress who goes to a a place in America in some sort of out of the way place, and there's um there's this magic sort of coffee pot that does things as well. She there's a lot of scenes with throwing a boomerang around, and it all looks beautiful. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh God, I can't. I, I was just thinking, what the hell was that one actually? Something. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God, I'll find it by the end. Anyway, it was one of those classics. and But now I find myself thinking, oh, my God, get on with it. Yeah, you're like, get a move on. What's the plot? What is the point of this film? Yes. You know, but I think that's it. When you're, when, you're, when you're a teenager, there doesn't have to be a point. It's much more about the emotion that you feel. You know, you, you can, I mean, I don't know. I, I, when I was a teenager anyway, I think, you know, things might have um, evolved a little bit. But it's, it is, it's, it's so caught up in your the world is ahead of you and you're figuring out who you are and what you are and I think every song you listen to every book you read every film you're kind of looking for clues on who am I do I do I see myself in any of this is this who do I want to be how do I you know and and 
it's really exciting. Whereas I think you get to your kind of mid twenties and you've got a pretty clear idea who you are and what you think. And you hang out with people who agree with you and you read things that agree with you. And, you know, you just get narrower and narrower in your worldview until you think that anyone who disagrees with you is stupid, not <laughs> just got a different view. Yes, you know? <laughs> but I think teenage, you know, you're just, you're open to everything. You, you, you want to question everything as well. Yes, this is true. So what was your first concert that you went to at this stage? Can you remember your first live concert? Oh, gosh, who was it? Could have been Prince. God, it... I remember going to a Prince gig when I was 15 or something. Was that the Love Sexy tour? I think it might have been. This is the one where the... I went to... Was the... God, my memory is... It was such a long time ago. Was it like 88 um, time? Because I did go and see Prince quite a lot in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, no, it would have been. It would have been a bit maybe, yeah, about... Oh, when was it? Yeah, it pretty was. So 87, 88, something like that. Um, at Birmingham. Oh, the NEC. I went... The NEC, yeah. Yes, because the, the... Yes, I went to... I think it was three. There was Love Sexy. There was another one. There was one at Birmingham, and then there was another one in somewhere like something caught. Some, anyway, and um, so that was... Yeah, that was... You were pitching quite high there, weren't you? It was, it was going to be downhill <laughs> after that, really. Well, the Love Sexy tour was... was the stage was in the middle and they came on in a car, whereas I remember yeah. the one when I saw in Birmingham as well, there was the bed coming down, there was pianos appearing, <laughs> and he was very much at one end, whereas the other one, people were in the middle and there was a basketball court and all sorts of malarkey coming on. I thought, this isn't... Norwich Art Centre with like 150 pasty, pasty looking kids. No, suffering no, from I mean, a, like, suffering from vitamin D deficiency. <laughs> the thing is, I think you know, there's there's gigs and then there's shows, and I love I love the big um, fantastic shows, um, but then there's something incredibly exciting and tangible about going to see an actual band in a in a smaller venue. Um, actually, I my my sort of big awakening I guess with with sort of live music was when I went to university I was at Reading and I I I sort of I got a job as not quite security if you if you looked at the size of me you'd, I wouldn't have been a, a very good um bouncer but they needed kind of usher slash slight security at the city to sort of check people weren't you know going in the wrong places or or whatever. Um, and it, it meant that I could go to every single gig at the student union, um, which was just dreamy. I mean, I was there every night and I saw everyone. And my memory is so bad now. I can barely tell you who I saw, but I saw everyone. And it was it was absolutely extraordinary to just be so close to this incredible yes. music and I think that that just made me kind of think yeah this is this is really good so you weren't from Reading in the first place you were you went to Reading to university no I, I grew up in London um and in fact before I went to university the, I, I was more into the sort of um kind of jazz funk there was a really big jazz funk in, uh sort of well, London, but I, I remember we were in, we used to go to Camden a lot. Um, and it was very sort of the the jazz cafe and um, the Blue Note. And it was all kind of wearing 
pinstriped. I think Sade sort of was the beginning of it, you yes. know. Um, and that was sort of, that's where I used to hang out, which there was live music, but it was a sort of slightly different thing. Um, and then I went to Reading, which is, of course, you know, it was a, a huge centre of um, fantastic indie bands. And, you know, that's where I kind of got massively into Slow Dive and whoever, yes. <laughs> whoever came to play, but Yes, Because I, I think it was Robin Miller who produced the first um, Sade album and then it was Working Week and I know everything, but The Girl was produced, I think, by Robin as well. Mm one of yeah. their early albums. But then you went, yeah, so there was that journey. And then we had the Style Council with Paul Weller and Nick Town. Love the Style Council. And DC Lee, yeah. which was very cool at times. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And then I guess there was Soul to Soul that came along mm. later. Mm. So that was quite groovy, wasn't it? So Yeah. And in fact, we saw them. Um, they, were, they, were, they were within that sort of um, scene when they were sort of starting out. Um, yeah. And then, then there was the, I remember John Peel started playing this kind of, Detroit house stuff like Frankie mm. Knuckles and it was like my god this is all very exciting so um yes I know I know I sort of embraced it all so what was your sort of what were the years of of Reading University so that was 1990 I think 1991 92 um and yeah and I, so I I I was sort of getting much more into indie music. I mean, I'd always been into it, but, but I was sort of, you know, this, this was becoming more of a kind of a thing. Um, and then I saw a, a note on the, on the uh, board saying, I can't remember exactly what it said, but looking for a singer um, for a band. And it said, um, our influences are Cocteau Twins, Lush, the Sundays, um, called Paul. So I just remember just staring at this thing and kind of, and the really funny thing is, I was like, everyone else here is going to call this number, everyone, you know, and I was looking kind of over my shoulder. I really wanted to take it down because I didn't want anyone else to call this number. And in reality, I don't, think, I don't know if anyone else called the number. <laughs> Just it's so you know when you want something so badly, you just assume the whole world is you know wanting it as badly as you. Um, but anyway, so that that I, I called Paul and um, went to meet him and Keith for a coffee in Reading, um, and that was that. That was the beginning of Blue Boy. Blimey, that was the early years. Because yes, I remember seeing. I think it was 80, 89, I saw it was Pale Saints and Lush were doing a double header, a four yeah. eight at the Norwich Arts Centre, thinking, oh yes, I love because I was I loved Lush at that time. I thought they were Oh Lush were amazing. Stunning. I thought the sound and there was bands like My Bloody Valentine and then yeah. the Faith Healers and uh, Silver yeah. who were a bit more grungy. But I loved it. And then obviously we had Nevermind that started to appear sometime later. So so the band uh, Blue Boy had was was still in it, 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 its infancy at this stage. It was right at the beginning, but they had. I think it was not long after they had sent Clearer to Sarah Records and got signed. So, from my perspective, you know, they were. We've got a record deal. It's with Sarah Records. <laughs> <laughs> still my beating heart um 
And yeah, so we, we, I think it's, you know, it's so I can't remember it, but I think, and Paul seems to think that the next step was that they came round to my student house, which was really quite disgusting. Um, and we played some songs together and I sort of sang along and we talked about music. I think they were there for ages. We were just talking and talking and talking. And, you know, I was having such a, a nice time and, and it all just felt completely natural. But, you know, it's like one of those job interviews where you're sort of, or even, you know, actually when I first met my husband, um, we met through work and we went out for dinner and all the way through, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure this is a date. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it is, but I didn't want to actually assume anything. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, that was so obvious it was a date. I was like, well, I mean, I think it is. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. And it was like that with, with Paul and Keith. You know, I was like, so so am I like, am I in the band? Is this, is this, or do they actually, is, is, are we just chatting? I mean, are they then going to get to the end of the game? It was really nice to meet you and, you know, we'll be in touch and off they go. Um, but they, I mean, Paul is very kind now. I was like, you had us at hello. Or I think they, ha I had them at cello actually, because um, we were chatting about, you know, and I was singing and la, 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 la. And then I mentioned that I also played the cello and the piano. And at that point they were like, um so yeah so that was the beginning of blue boy god that's a fantastic story actually because there was was that there was another band here i think he had a cellist there was a there were a duo is it ophelia oh god what was the band in the oh gosh yeah ophelia. um um and they i know they did a, a, a tube special as well they did a, a few dates and they had oh yes they had someone painting behind them which was all that's right paint, which is um very much of an 80s thing. So did did the music slightly disrupt your studies at all? Did you get a little bit too kind of excited at this stage? I mean, look, I was studying philosophy. Um, so I think I had a grand total of three lectures a week, um, which I didn't have to go to. I mean, this is the days of, I mean, I, I think I did my degree, if I'm really honest, in my final year. I just kind of went to the library and read all the books and kind of did all my work. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't do anything in the in the in the first two years, but it was fairly, you know, I, I didn't have a kind of um heavy timetable. So I was looking for stuff to do. I I like to be busy. Um and yeah, so this was, it was perfect. And, you know, I think, I mean, it started, I think we did a gig at the After Dark. That was the first thing, um, which was this club in Reading. I don't think it is there now. Um, and I sang Clear Skies. And I just remember I had my eyes closed all the way through because I was so nervous I was shaking like a leaf you know nothing prepares you for actually going on stage and just got to sing a song and there's all these people there um and yeah but I, re I remember it really really well and then then we did quite a few um quite low-key acoustic gigs so it would just be me Paul and Keith and I might be singing I'd play the cello um and that that was actually a really Musically, it was a really brilliant thing to do because 
I do quite a lot of kind of practice time with Paul and we we got to know each other musically. So a lot of the time, actually, you know, quite quickly, there was just a sort of really nice synergy and we'd just sort of improvise and, and it would all to come together really nicely. And, and so I felt very relaxed then. And, and I think that's where I sort of built my confidence that, no, this is, it was all, you know, the, I just loved the music. And, and once I was sort of into the music, I sort of stopped worrying too much about, um, you know. Yes. Did you add that? People listening. I mean, obviously at that stage, you know, we had this kind of the, the scene from Seattle coming over, the grunge period. Did, mm. that, did that slightly sort of discombobulate the, the band at that stage? Or were you very much on your own path at this? I think in a way it made us more what we were because, I mean, there was, we had, we had the sort of, um, yeah, we had the Seattle thing, but then we had the Britpop thing, you know, and we weren't that, we weren't any, we weren't anything really. We were just us. And I think it kind of brought us together. We just got even more determined to be what we were. And I I think it's really important with music because, you know, I think anything creative, if you try too much to follow or second guess or kind of, you know, you're, you're, what are you doing you're 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 chasing a kind of marketing dream but that it's it's not you know to use the the today's parlance it's not authentic you know and I think we just made music and sometimes our music was quite I think there there's some of our songs are actually quite grungy rocky um others are incredibly sort of fey and beautiful and and but but always the sort of juxtaposition of whatever the music was the lyrics we never I think our our lyrics were always quite challenging Keith was a a genius with with lyrics and 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 they just added such a a layer I felt anyway it it just gave us a different dimension but you couldn't I don't think you could pigeonhole us really I don't think we were your really typical Sarah Records band some of our stuff was but not not all of it. But I don't think where I mean we were a sort of um, the opposite of a marketing dream because whatever we'd just done, we wanted to then do something completely different. Um, but you know that's what brought us together because actually that's what we all loved, and I think actually that's what we all you know that's that's the thing that's the glue now as well. It's interesting because I think when an artist has their moment, the zeitgeist moment, I think they. The, the work that's particularly poor is when they're, they're a little bit lost and they're looking around going, what producer should I work with? What musicians? And I think mm-hmm. that happened with Bowie a little bit in the 80s when he, he'd done Let's Dance, which I think was all right, but then he did Tonight and Never Let Me Down. And it was like, it definitely feels like somebody who's sort of wondering where he should go and who he should all yeah. be himself. And there was quite a lot of the artists from the 70s who did some good work, but then their 80s work is like, oh dear, that is... And then they kind of pick it up again a bit more in the 90s. But it's interesting what you said about sort of just doing your own thing that you feel happy with and can sort of go, well, it doesn't matter if anyone likes it. And Neil Young was always that, had that attitude. Isn't, you know, he would just do what he felt was right. And then, yeah, you know, you're not going to have a sleepless night feeling embarrassed afterwards going, my God, that drum and bass was a <laughs> on the drum bass album you know what were we thinking of we were just copying someone else so there you go so can you remember the first time then you went into the studio and started to record with the band yeah so that was 
I think I'm pretty sure it was If Wishes Were Horses, which was our first album. And again, my memory is very, very, I was talking to Paul about this just the other day and he was telling me where the studio was. And of course I've now forgotten. I just remember, in fact, well, Paul tells this story far better than me, but um, we kept asking for more reverb on the voice and the producer would kind of go to the reverb button and he'd, he'd turn it like this tiny, tiny little bit up, which would make absolutely not a bit of difference. And then he would turn his back or go to the loo or something like that. And we would all just go <laughs> in the spinal tear, spinal tap. It's yes. like, no, we need it at 11. <laughs> we want it to go up to 12. Um, yeah, I mean, I have very, very fond memories of that That album, less so. I think that was done on quite a shoestring. We had to record, like, an album in two days or something bonkers. Um, but then we started recording, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember names. I'm just, honestly, it's all it's all gone, the adult. Um we we started recording in a in a, a different studio with a fantastic producer called Richard, um, whose surname will come to me, um, and that was just brilliant. We had we had more time, um, and that time was just amazing because we could then experiment. And actually, we did a lot of that in um, when we were recording and just you know trying stuff like you know you'd get a song and go oh well what if what could, if we added a bit of, of cello and what if we added a bit of harmonica? Um, you know, what if we added keyboards? And we ended up really, it just, it was so much fun. It, it felt so creative. And I'd be on such a high at the end of every day because we just made something that we weren't anticipating making at the beginning of the day. It was like this, you know, incredible journey and listening to the songs and going, wow, that was, you know, they were always, had had just kind of, I don't know, exploded. They'd always done, you know, really, really, we'd found something really interesting in them. And I think that's the, that's the purpose for me of recording. It's got to be different yes. to just, you know, live is live. That's, that's extraordinary. But if you're going to record it, do something, do something with it. And did you, when you went, was this unisex? Was this the next? Yes. The album you'd, yeah. Had you at that stage finished your degree and were... <clears throat> music more full-time now that is a good question see I can't even remember that, that um I think I I think I had I okay so I know we went to Japan in when I was at university that was in my final year at university but actually, maybe that was after If Wishes Were Horses. So maybe unisex came afterwards. I think you I think it 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 was around the time either where I was finishing university or the year after. And I so I moved to London, but you know, it's it's not it's not far um to get to Reading. So I just I I I had a I bought a mini for 400 pounds it was a yellow mini and it didn't have a stereo so I would have a had a um double cassette yes thing battery powered battery powered um which I would put on the front seat and play music 
while I was, yeah, basically that. I mean, it was so old school. And I would drive down the M4 to Reading and drive back again. And I just did that most weekends. I quite often just to Paul's house or, you know, to um, wherever we were rehearsing. Um, yeah, it was fun. I mean, you know, yeah, you, again, it was just early 20s. You've just got, you know, I had a job, but I had so much time, so much time. Yes, absolutely. My first car was a Mini. It was an 850 Mini with a long gear stick and it was like, one of the brilliant that um I'm, and we used to sort of drive from Norwich down to London just happily just go in this little car and, and it, yeah underneath was kind of rotten so your feet would sometimes get quite wet by the time you got to London <laughs> I did get a puncture once and put the jack underneath the, and, the, and the jack just went straight through the bottom of it and it was like mm. um it was it didn't pass the MOT so well, no surprise there but it was just shame it was about 250 quid, um, oh. 50 mini, so um, good times for the mini, actually. And and the, your ghetto blaster, which was quite good. So with the problem <laughs> on unisex, did you have them all rehearsed and, and sort of written as a band at this stage? No, no, not at all. Um, I mean, we used to exchange cassettes. So Paul would send me some music, some guitar on a cassette and say, what do you think? Can you do some stuff with this? And then I would play around with it, with the cello and have sort of thoughts, but it wasn't really until with, with quite a few of those songs, it wasn't until we got to the studio that we would then kind of go, Ooh, what about this? And, and, you know, I remember vocals, I think it was um, boys don't matter. And just having this like, Oh, what if we did the kind of, do 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 at the end and how's that going to work and 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 I, I'd done such a I'm not, I thought I had done but but whatever I had done had been really brilliant but hadn't been recorded <laughs> and then they were like right do that again do that again so I started doing it again but I couldn't remember you can see my really amazing memory was was even rubber it worse then I couldn't remember what I'd done so I was trying to replicate it and and I was just, they kept going, no, no, you're going to Cocteau Twins. <laughs> I was like, rah, rah, rah. Um, so I was like, no, no, go back to what you were doing. And I was like, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> and it's that, you know, you're literally like, I don't know, I'll try something again. And in the end, we went with the do, 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 um, which was great. But it, but I think that's the magic. It's just, you know, and often it would, you know, sometimes it would just be me, Paul, Keith, and we'd be there till late, you know, it's like, 10 o'clock at night and you're really knackered but like, come on and then suddenly you get a like oh what about you know and how about that and then it's like it unlocks something else and then you're like oh we could have a bit of this or we could have a bit of that and I think that was the great thing about recording with Richard I mean we did some really like meet Johnny Rave we did um which I love that I just the, the the everyone doing stuff in it it was so rich um yeah, no, yeah, it was it was very creative. Can you remember the recording "The Joy of Living"? By the way, because that's that's become quite the big kind of um, player on that album as well, hasn't it? It's had yeah, 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 of a million you know listens on Spotify. So I just wondered, what was that kind of uh, process? Well, so that was a song we had been singing live before we recorded. Um, but but not with the cello because we we played it as a band song <clears throat> and when we were a full band I only used to play cello live when it was an acoustic set so just sort of the three of us 
Um, so yeah, so that was, um, and I bringing in that melody, I think I was sort of working on it, but until we got into the studio, it's like, how is it all going to kind of come together? And then again, the sort of the, the harmony in the chorus, that was a sort of, let's try it while we were recording rather than, and I think there's an alchemy that happens sometimes when you've just, you know, you're in the right place at the right time and the creativity is flowing and you're like, just try this. And it's all of you. It's everyone in the room. And I think that's a song where the alchemy just really came together. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you think you're making something extraordinary and then you listen the next day and you're like, oh, that was awful. Um, but no, Joy of Living was just, it, it was, yeah, you get the little tingly on the back of your neck and you just think, yeah, that's really, really, that's really nice. Yes. And then did you do a John Peel session after that quite soon? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a John Peel session. I think it was a probably a year or so after Unisex, something like, again, I, I need a fact checker. <laughs> I need a kind of calendar next to me. But my whole life just goes, you know, I, I remember things in sort of eras and, you know, I can see things, but I'm very, very bad at the sort of linear of what happened when. Um, but that was definitely after university because I remember I was living at home. I was trying to save up enough money to move out again, um, and so we were doing. I mean, it was it was so exciting. But I, what I remember is that morning saying to my parents, um, "I'm just going out then because we're doing a peel session," and this kind of blank. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. What time are you going to be back? And will you want supper? They had no idea. No one knew. No one, no one, you know. And I was like, oh, well, you know, so we just went and did this thing. Um, but yeah, we all, we, uh, I, I remember just the sort of, it was the weight of, and also you have huge, um, uh, what's the phrase? Um, uh, when, Basically, like, why me? You know, how, how, they're, they're going to, imposter syndrome, that's what, it, you know, right. they're, they're just going to, someone's going to turn up at some point and go, you know, this isn't, you know, the wrong blue boy. Or actually, and, and I have a, so I, I, I have a, another um, blue boy anecdote. Do you remember the, the band Blue Boy that did um, Remember Me? Do, 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 that, yes. that, it was huge. Um, so that was after our blue boy, um, but they appeared in Melody Maker, and they really did get the wrong blue boy because they put my picture <laughs> next to the <laughs> next to the big thing saying, you know, the song is amazing, and there was a picture of me. Anyway, that was the wrong blue boy. Um, no, but in the pill session, I just it, it felt so extraordinary, and actually that again, the the song, the acoustic song we recorded, just there was absolute alchemy there and also I think because you know you, you're on such hallowed ground you know and I just how do you deserve to be in this space doing this thing um and, and I think we all just it we just elevated our you know up to our game and sort of the adrenaline was 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 extraordinary um but no that was it that was an incredible day so this was on I think it was December 1994 actually with, with Mike Engels producing it, wasn't it? You had him and Tim Durham engineering. So you had quite a big band at this stage, didn't you? You'd had Harvey on guitar, Martin on guitar. Yeah, so, so yeah, there were six of us um, 
And so it was, a, and it was a much richer sound. So those days when we played live, it was we'd sort of gone from almost quite a sort of sparse, with a bit of jingly jangly, but it was it was quite a sort of sparse sound. And then suddenly it was rich, um, which was which was you know it was lovely. Yes. What was it like after Unisex came out? Did you do a tour for that particular release? Yes, we did. Um, I think that that was I remember we did a UK tour uh which was a sort of typical you know that was wishes with horses we did so we did a UK tour after if wishes were horses which was your very Sarah records tour it was kind of here are the addresses we had to kind of somehow get there um we didn't know where we were staying afterwards. So we'd regularly finish the gig and then kind of tap someone up and say, can we come and stay, please? Um, Not always successfully. Um, I mean, it was huge amounts of fun. But um, I think Unisex, we played some gigs. I don't think we did a full tour, but we did go to, we did a tour of France. And at that time we were getting, I think Sarah Records was getting really, quite big in France um and that was extraordinary I mean that was that was one of the last things we did actually as a full band um but it was just the most amazing tour it the the chemistry I think we were I think we were all playing really well the audience I mean the the it was just the, the the atmosphere everything was was so brilliant and I think we were I think we yeah we'd sort of reached our kind of we were playing together like it was it was really quite something um so that was brilliant but I, I don't think we did a UK tour I think we just did a few dates here and there. Did you feel part of a community on Sarah Records with people like the Field Mice and Heavenly and and was yeah all the I do you know I, I mean yes the, the bands were all lovely um I think the community of Sarah Records was the fans, actually. Um, you know, it was a label that was created by the fans for the fans, and that was the whole point of it. So that was that was our community. And 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 you know, the 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 love and the sort of it was just a place where people could find other people and felt at home and felt understood and and just love the music you know and and that that for me is what the community was whereas the bands you know I mean we 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 played with Heavenly once I think and we went so the French tour was with Trembling Blue Stars but I think other than that we might we played one gig with the Field Mice once you don't it's not all the bands all together kind of you know rooming together and on the corridor chatting you you don't really see the other bands and and there was no social media in those days so there was no kind of like or follow or wave hey how you doing you know go you um there was just kind of bumping into them at gigs when often you know gigs where i don't you know you were trying to find somewhere to sleep and you were exhausted because you've been driving all day and all this kind of stuff um but you know there were there were people 
there were fans of Blue Boy who came to every gig and it was the most incredible thing, you know, to just, you'd spot the faces and you were like, okay, we're good, you know? And because we weren't, we were small, we weren't, we weren't a big band, you know, we were, we were niche, Um, happy to be niche, not always as niche as we, I mean, when we, we played in Hull once and I think that was, that that was a, a kind of incredibly niche audience of maybe two or three. Um, that was possibly too niche. Yes. Um. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that would have been very tricky at that stage. Um, obviously, we had Britpop that was going on at that point, and I suppose was the, was the atmosphere with the band still because it's quite tough, isn't it? Most bands I've interviewed, they have a five year narrative. You know, you tick most boxes. Mm. You know, you. The slight honeymoon period, which is just like everyone's really happy and enthusiastic. First single, first album, bit of a tour, John Peel Station, second album, still going well. And generally things are good. But then there's the sort of the pressures of sort of what do we do next? There's a sort of a lack of money. And sometimes it might have been a different dynamic with your band. But did you? Yeah, because sometimes there's that sort of friction that started to build up and sort of hostility amongst the members I think perhaps it's to do with the gender thing, if, if they're just five blokes who have all just drinking too much and have just been a bit too laddish. Even in the indie days, I think it does kind of eventually sort of wear out in the, in the, in the minibus, doesn't it, in the tour bus, <laughs> and just really tip people over the edge. What was it like at that stage with, with the band? Was it still quite harmonious and kind of enthusiastic? Because obviously, you know, you're recording and songs are incredible and you're obviously said how how much you enjoyed that kind of energy between you yeah yeah no I mean I don't think I'm gonna just pause there um my son has just can I just pretty your, your question is pretty fine isn't it Oh, yes yeah so the 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 sort of the energy and the vibe of the band that was the um the key to that because you'd been together quite a while and recorded yeah quite a few I mean we'd we'd been together as you say you know a while I think with Blue Boy what what we weren't is you know as you were talking about the trajectory and the sort of you do this and there's no sort of building and we all had other stuff kind of going on actually you know I had a job in London Paul had a job he was married our bassist had um left the band because he had a young family you know and he just didn't have the sort of time wherewithal so I then volunteered to take up the bass um figuring you know how hard can it be it's basically a cello backwards and you hold it differently turns out quite hard actually um I, I think I I I managed but I don't I mean I am in no way a bassist um we'd grown we sort of had you know so Lloyd, our old drummer, had left, and then we had Martin. And I think there was just a sort of we got to a point. It's like, what are we doing? You know, what 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 is what is the plan here? And I don't think we had one. Um, and I think everyone was just kind of getting to a like we we just don't know what what we're doing, and we didn't necessarily have the next kind of big musical idea. Um, and I think Keith was having quite a challenging time as well. Um, and it just, it just didn't, it didn't feel like we were kind of going anywhere. And I think 
France was just such an extraordinary tour that it just afterwards it was kind of don't know it was quite a sort of come down actually yes and I think that was actually the beginning of the end of the band really there wasn't there wasn't a good enough reason to we didn't we didn't have a sort of as something coming up in our sights and I think we all had kind of got to the point as well you need to sort of start as you know you're saying at the beginning that you know you you have it you have your life you know and you've got to sort of work out what what do, you know I I had to, you know we all had our own sort of things to to figure out but you know for me it's like well I was I was working as a journalist um and I was really enjoying it and it was becoming you know I actually did have <laughs> beginning to have time constraints you know I wasn't doing a philosophy degree where I could just kind of disappear off and you know if I the French tour I remember like I had to take annual leave you know and it was at a time when there was something happening in it I had to actually have a tricky conversation with my editor and go look this really matters but you know that ha- that's going to happen more and more yeah. um and I, I we were never I don't think we ever were in the sort of vista of like this was going to be the thing this was the thing on the side because you know if you follow your music and creativity and you know commercial we were not um that wasn't our objective actually we didn't sort of go into this going yeah we're going to follow this wave or we're going to you know we just wanted to play music together um and I think that's that just kind of it it just felt like a natural ending yes so did you all sit down and have that moment together no no because that that's what would happen if you were sort of mature functioning we all just kind of got a bit scratchy and then just sort of had time bits of silence and then we sort of had tricky conversations and was like well blah, blah, blah. um yeah and I think it all you know Harvey and I sort of exited stage left um and I think Martin at the same time Mark had already left Keith and Paul did a few things afterwards but that then sort of fell apart you know it was just it was limping, I think, by that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, they bring out another album though, don't they? They have a one more. Yeah. So Paul and Keith did another album, but, and and this, this is, this is Paul's story to tell really, not mine. I know that Keith was just having a really hard time and Paul's sort of written about this really eloquently on Twitter. Um, but it just, just, it was, it was a real struggle, I think, to, to, put that album together in the end and I think that was just the sort of final um nail really yes that is a bit tricky yeah it's always tricky because I I remember doing an interview with a member of Chumbawamba as Ollie Dunst and um I think they were a Reading band yeah well, they were from Leeds they were, they were Leeds sorry Leeds, of course they were, they were. no I was thinking about the um someone else yeah but he I remember they got to that point where they struggled in the 80s then they had that sort of freak hit single things going mm. on, and then they realised they were back to, you know, that point. And so half the band kind of left, and the other half continued. And I did say, did you did you feel a bit worried that they were suddenly going to make a great record without you? And he went, I was a bit worried about that. It would have just been really hard. But like he was like, yeah, I was really pleased for them to keep going, but I just didn't want them to be successful. <laughs> but I think that's a bit different thing than your experience. But you know, 
it's like god if they if they go and do sort of you know another hit single mark two it's gonna it's... well then we wouldn't be talking now i mean you know then then i'd be doing a telling a whole different yes you know, this is all story they were never this focus from now on with your career or do you still sort of occasionally appear and do other recordings with other well i mean this so we we had a a, a brief hiatus of about 30 years where we didn't see each other we didn't i mean the, but honestly i i i'm I have a I have three children who barely knew I was in a band. I mean, they might have heard me mention it once or twice. It was just something from, you know, from way back when. Um, but recently, <laughs> like so many bands, I mean, it started with um Jane's book on Sarah Records, and and she asked if we would play at the Bristol uh book launch. And I hadn't spoken to Paul in such a long time, but I messaged him behind the scenes and I was like, I don't know what do you, I didn't want to sort of talk in front of Jane. It's like, you know, no, we need to sort of have a little conversation. Behind. So I emailed him separately and I was like, I don't know. What do you think? And he kind of came back going, yeah, can we do it? If, would you do it? Would you? I was like, I don't know. Would you? Um, and so that kind of happened and it was, it was just going to be a one-off, the two of us acoustic gig. And, you know, there was just so much love in the room that the people who'd come to watch them, some of them knew some of the words, and it was such a joy playing with Paul again. I mean, it, it's like a kind of, it's like family, you know. It's like you just slot straight back in, having not spoken for, for eons. Um, so then we were asked to do the Rough Trade East London gig uh, for the London launch of Jane's book, uh, which was a month or so ago. And again, that was absolutely fantastic. Um, and now we are playing a full band gig on the 18th of May at the Water Rats. And we're kind of, we're a band again. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. It's gone from totally nothing to we're talking all the time, you know. I'm like, right, I'm going to buy a microphone. We're recording bits. We're... We're playing um, a, the Cologne Pop Fest in yes. April, um, and it's 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 very surreal, and I've had to sort of adjust. But it's it's really amazing because it's sort of come at a time. Actually, I've had a a very busy thirty years, and I've you know I've, I I was a writer. I, I wrote novels, and I you know just just completely completely different stuff, and. But now, you know, I, my youngest um, is 12 and kind of, you know, I'm through the kind of early children, you know, young children years. And, and it's like, this is, this is the only time, really, I'd have been able to do this. And it's just happened right now. And it's, it's incredibly exciting. Um, and what's really lovely is that this, this new world of social media and it's just changed the whole dynamic. I mean, we were talking earlier about, you know, you, you pick a lane in terms of music and you have to, that's what, you know. Now you can be anything all the time because it's all readily available. Yeah. Um, but equally, I, people can just contact you and people who were at the gig now follow me on Instagram and they send me messages and I like their posts. And it's like, it really is like this community of people who like the music. Um and it's just a thrill to be able to 
play it again. I, I cannot tell you how excited I am to get on stage with the full band and sing and play. I mean, it's it's really it's really quite something. Yes. So, are you on bass again, or have you got a new bass? I am definitely not on bass again. No. Um. To the <clears throat> to the relief of everyone, I think. Uh, no. So Mark is back. Um. Mark is back on bass. Um. And Martin is on drums. It's it's a four piece basically, um, but we're going to try and we, we we we've got a couple of potential special guests to bring in some of the rich strings and and that kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, no, it should be really exciting. I know. I did an interview with Paul when he was kind of suppose coming towards the end of lockdown. And I think he suddenly had more time because there was a sort of a change in his circumstance. Mm. Just with a lot of people I've done these interviews, they're often really excited to do music again after such a break. And yes, that has been something missing in my life, this amazing thing that I love, but then reality of life comes in. Have you started thinking about new material as well? Because often people go, well, actually, I'm quite enjoying this and, and it would be nice to do something new rather than just the old hits. Definitely. I mean, I think, you know, we, we had the conversations like, look, what do we want to do? Do we want to just play a few gigs for old time's sake you know or do we actually want to be a band again and everyone unanimously right there and then I mean it was it was funny because it was at the gig you know they the guys came to the rough trade Bristol and they came to the rough trade London and so you're, you're literally having these kind of band chats but in and amongst all the kind of hubbub and you know but everyone was, it was like, in for, you know, we're, we're in, we want to actually be in a band um, and being in a band means, yeah, the, the possibility of new material, new songs, you know, and that's, that's the bit that I think is just incredibly exciting. It's, it's, yeah, we're, we're, we're a, we're a little group again. Well, it's quite nice because Heavenly have reformed, haven't they, to do some live dates and even go into America. And I think there's, there's this kind of passing of time, which has kind of created another bit of interest with people remembering also members of the audience having a bit of time to suddenly think, oh, I don't have to just be so focused on my work and life and home. And Totally. But I think also, I think you rarely get second chances at things, you know, and I've often thought university is kind of wasted on, well, it was wasted on me when I went, you know, I'd love to go and do it again because I would go to all the lectures and and you know I'd, I'd love to study now whereas then it was like oh, I'm doing a degree it's you know I, mean, I found it interesting but <clears throat> but you don't usually get to go back and redo things this we get to kind of go back and do it but but from a position of maturity experience and and just appreciation you know it's not just a kind of oh how to do I don't know it's I, I love every minute of it. I love the going around to pools and practicing music. It now feels like this incredible privilege because yeah. I know I've had so many years without it, you know, and the idea that we can do a gig and people will come. I mean, how amazing is that? You know, it, it just, so I can, it, I think you, you just enjoy it so much more because you appreciate it in a way that when you're young, things just happen and you just roll with it. Whereas I think when you're a bit older, you you see it for what it is, oh, which God, is just, yes, you know. <clears throat> when did you, I mean, obviously Keith passed away, didn't he, in 2007. Did you hear that news when it happened or was it a few years? No. Um, in fact, no one did until um, a few years later. Um, and I think that was, 
that was one of the reasons that it wouldn't have I think it was it was it was really hard to sort of it would have been very hard to go let's get the band back together I think that it wasn't in anyone's vista which is so actually the 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 rough trade thing just a little acoustic thing I I think we all was like you know that's all we're going to do you know it didn't feel appropriate um but it was only through doing that and actually the, the people who came and who were so, you know, they like, we've just, you've got to play these songs live. You've got to, you've got to do this thing. And, and it was a really tough thing for me because, you know, Keith, Keith was just, I'm not saying he was Blue Boy, Keith and Paul, ultimately, you know, they, they were the sort of um, linchpins and, and people absolutely loved him. I, I, we all loved Keith. Um, so to 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 reform the band when <clears throat> Keith isn't you know it, it was a it was a really really difficult thing, but at the same time, his songs are incredible and you know I think so I'm I'm singing and I've had to make some adjustments you know the key in some of the songs I can't you know I can't reach and I, and I think you know with every little tweak and change I'm sort of always thinking how does this how does this land how does that you know and there are some songs that were just me and that's that's very straightforward but the songs that he sang it's like to to back to that word I used earlier of authenticity you know it's it's got to I can't just I don't want to do karaoke Keith that's that that's just not right, but at the same time, I, I need to give his songs the right emotional resonance. And in some type of cases, that means little tweaks and sort of changes to just make them work, you know. And so it's, it's been it's been quite a, a process. And I think, you know, it's taken us quite a long time as well to sort of get over what happened actually it's it's a it's you know it's it's a huge it's a huge thing yes um it, it must slightly all touch you on some levels that that you realize that when he was poorly and ill and then passing away you know you were all doing your thing completely oblivious to his situation well i think and i think keith had taken himself away that was the thing it it was very much um I think yeah I think I think you know and again this is it's not it's not my story to tell but but I think he had removed himself from you know and and which is really hard as well because it's it's so multi-layered but I think my my way of of kind of dealing with it is just to remember the brilliant times you know and the incredible music and the staying up late talking about music playing music creating music um you know that the French tour actually was was it, it I sort of played that back in my mind quite a lot because it was just it was the best of us actually you know um I remember having other we didn't obviously have you know it wasn't big budget so we're all sharing hotel rooms and, and I can't remember where we were but it was basically me Paul and Keith in a bed um and just 
giggling. I mean, it was like kind of, you know, children after lights out. And we're like, God, so we've got to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) It was just really magical, actually. And so that's what I, that's where I go back to and go, you know what, we, we had that. And then life happens, things happen. And, you know, as I, yeah, as I say, you get to this age and, and we've all been touched by all kinds of sadness and, you know, things don't always work out and, you know, it, it affects everyone. I don't, I don't think anyone gets this age without, you know, having to sort of face up to really, really difficult things, but actually just hold on to, to what was brilliant, you know, and I think that for me anyway is, is the way I kind of try and piece it together and think about it. Yes, absolutely. I think the Chesterfields had the same thing with Davy who got killed in a hit and run accident and then yeah. the band had an offer, I think, to play in America to do some dates and they asked his family and they were like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, he would love you to do mm. that and to keep his music alive. So it's a very similar story. Did you did you sort of speak to any of his family and, and parents at all if they were still about, about the band and your memories of him to share that with his family? So Paul and Keith were sort of friends at school um, and they were sort of in and out of each other's houses a lot. Um, And so Paul knew his mum really well, but she died. Um, And that was actually the sort of beginning of where then, because the, the, uh, his, Keith's mum was in Reading and that's why Keith would come back to Reading. And after she died, he sort of stopped coming back. And I think that's when they sort of lost touch. So it wasn't, I think that there were limited family to to speak to, unfortunately. Right. My God, that's so sad, isn't it? God, life, it's so tricky, isn't it, really? So, yes, blimey, that's a bit of a downer, isn't it, really? (laughs) Yeah, so... um... Interesting. So, with with the new with the new sort of a few dates and and potentially new recordings, um, yeah. Do you think you'll get some more offers then, sort of for you know, like Heavenly's just been asked to play America? Do you sort of imagine something like that will happen with Blue Boy, which could be quite surreal? Do you know, I think we are. It's been so sudden. You know, we played the first. The Bristol Rough Trade gig was sort of last autumn. And then the East London Rough Trade gig was January. And I think it was in November or December that Cologne Pop Fest got in touch. And then we'd sort of by then decided to do a unisex anniversary gig. That's the one on the 18th of May. Um, And I think we're basically, we're just looking one step ahead. You know, we've got Cologne, then we've got, the the gig in May and then I don't know I genuinely don't know I mean you know if there were offers to do things how extraordinary would that be um but I think the thing with Blue Boy is it always comes down to the music so I think it's it's actually the bit I'm looking forward to really is is rehearsing yes which which we've started to do and it's just so much fun and, you know, if we can play together and make new music together and if people want to come and listen to us, then how lucky are we? Um, so I think it's it's that. I think I'd rather, you know, not kind of go, well, here's our five-year plan and da, da, da. We, we just have no plan. We just have a plan, which is, you know, I haven't seen these guys in such a long time and 
and we shared such extraordinary times and and just just the catching up and the sort of and and, and allowing myself to go back as well because I think a it was such a long time ago and then you know the fact that Keith passed away it was all so hard you know and I think I just sort of put it right over there you know that was that was a thing yes and actually allowing I think we're all enjoying the kind of oh we can actually it's it can be real again we can talk about it and and remember but also look forward and it's just it's incredibly exciting and and humbling actually when when you sort of come across people who've been listening to your music as you say on Spotify I mean it's it's bonkers um people who are watching you know listening on a monthly basis and it's it's not all my mother um so yeah I'm I'm just slightly taken aback I'm I'm basically kind of walking around with my mouth slightly open and wide-eyed going this is just so extraordinary and so whatever happens I think you know what what the 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 we're back together as a as a band and that's brilliant yes where we go you know it's all good and have you spoke to matt and claire from sarah, sarah records as well because they've been sort of at some of those events haven't they yeah and we've had the most lovely messages again i mean actually i got such a lovely message from matt which was one of the reasons I thought, yeah, I can do this again, you know? And it's it's when you get a sort of, and we've had a lot of lovely messages from people who were there, you know, in, back in the day, all saying, this is really lovely and it feels right. And that's been so important that that, that sort of, okay, it's all right. You know, I, I can do this and, and we can do this. And, and yeah, because... The last thing, you know, I we never wanted to be a sort of go and do a sort of you know karaoke of Blue Boy that was back then. And it's sort of what are we doing, you know? And, and it, but but actually having the support of of those people who were there, you know, and who we have so much respect for, um, has just been really um, amazing. Oh, that is brilliant. I mean, God, that's that is just one of the great stories. I've ever heard actually. I think it's kind of also part of that Sarah record label, isn't it? Because this, I mean, we were lucky in the 80s. There were a lot of little indie labels as well as some slightly bigger indie labels. But actually, Sarah seems to just have some something about it, which is um it's a bit more special in a way. It's not more special, but it has a uniqueness, doesn't it? I th- I think it was because it was about the fans. That that's where it started and that's where it ended. You know, it was about people who loved music who looked at the world the same way and were looking for their community and they found it. And it's, it's, it's got breadth and depth. And so it's, it's stayed whole and it's just grown. Whereas I think so many of these things were sort of built on, you know, you might love this or, you know, labels or whatever else, but they were sort of, they weren't built on such strong foundations. And I think Sarah was just, it was so rich and and so it's it's it I I often think it's you know you 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 plant stuff I I, I'm not a very good gardener but I do love it yeah um and and sort of watching those buds grow and and I feel like in a way that's what Sarah Records was it was this extraordinary farm or garden or something and we were all planting these things and we had no idea and we've come back 30 years later and it's like this extraordinary field of flowers you know it's 
utterly beautiful. And there's a whole load of people who are looking at those flowers and they love the flowers and they want you to come back and maybe plant some more flowers or at least talk through how you grew them in the first, you know, it's just beautiful. And, and yeah, and I think that that's Sarah Records for me. That's, that's it, you know, in a field. That's amazing, isn't it, really? God, I was going to say something else, actually. God, I can't remember. Um, no, I don't know. But if you were... No, it's gone. If you were going to... If you could have said something to your, like, 16-year-old self, is there anything that you would have whispered in their ear, even if that 16-year-old self would have ignored them? Well, I mean, this is the thing. I, 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 I would have ignored whatever I said so it would be slightly pointless I think any 16 year old is is um I wish I could influence my own 16 year old now and uh, not a chance um I mean it's it's the cliched stuff isn't it it's just enjoy it while it's there you know I I do love that the sort of you know this too will end thing where you know when when you're in a really difficult horrible time and you, you know that it will come to an end and actually time is a great healer and all those cliches it, it, it is very very true but also nothing ever lasts you know and you just just lap it up and and enjoy it and and also just stop worrying about all the rubbish you know don't worry about the future and, you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, is a sort of, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, just enjoy every minute, I think I would have said. Um, but as as you say, you know, I was a moody teenager, so I, I wouldn't have done. So yeah. <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> I know what I was going to ask you. With your with fans, I don't know if you can see them from your Spotify or Bandcamp, but are you sort of finding kind of a new audience and sort of a much younger audience and from different parts of the world I, does it give you that kind of breakdown of them because I, I saw your Spotify sort of monthly list which was quite kind of extraordinary isn't it really um something. yeah no, I I I put neither Paul nor I have access to that data and we, we would love to um but what I do know is when we played Rough Trade East actually the same in Bristol I mean there was such a, an extraordinary number of people but from all over the place you know and there were people who traveled from halfway across the world to come to the gig you know and that's so humbling I mean the the is pressure as well you think yeah. let's go it's gotta be good you remember everything um but yeah it, it's 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 and I think this is the thing it's back to you know our music we wrote the music that we wanted to make. We were the least commercial bands, I think, on the planet. We just didn't have that. We were never thinking, how is this going to land? We were thinking, do you think if you added a bit of this there, that might make this better? You know, all we were thinking about, we were music nerds, really. Um, but, and this is the the joy of, I know there's lots of evils around social media and blah, 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 but goodness me, you can find your tribe now in a way that you couldn't in in you know back in the day um and it turns out there is a tribe there is an audience it's just that they're not all you know in whole yes. <laughs> they're you know we've got we've got some really really wonderful fans in Indonesia for some reason Blue Boy is has kind of taken off in in Indonesia and Jakarta is one of our sort of um, there's, there's in France in Germany there's, there's pockets and and across the UK but it's it's 
all over the place. It, it, it's it's individuals who have come to our music and and love it, and the joy of of you know digital and 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 internet and all the rest of it is that we can find them they can find us and we can chat and they can hopefully come and see us and we can you know in a way that you just couldn't at all in any shape or form other than through things like Sarah Records yes um and and the odd fan scene I think uh, it's interesting you mentioned Indonesia because slightly different country but the wild swans Paul Simpson from the wild swans said that he's massive he is, and also the band probably, but he is the wild swans in in uh, the Philippines. He's you know really he's like Elvis there. Unfortunately, they bootleg everything, so he's not rich. But well, yeah, he, he yeah. usually gets to play there live. This massive <laughs> and thinks, God, why, how? But quite a lot. Well, it's David Hasselhoff in Germany, isn't it? I mean, you oh know, God, you nice, nice to have your your place if you've got a place where you're, you know, loved. I know. Nothing wrong with that. He brought down the Berlin Wall, didn't he? So that was amazing. Well, he did, single-handedly. So, you know. It's all here. World peace could be. <laughs> or if he's still alive. But God, that is fantastic. It is just great. It's such a lovely story. And I just love the fact that um, it's had this kind of amazing second chapter. Because one thing that blew me, because I did, when uh, blew my mind, was that when Paul was talking about life after Blue Boy and he had a solo career, and then he had this kind of Katie Spade, this kind of fashion person wanted him to do an album with as Beaumont, didn't he? And I just thought, yeah, that is absolutely bizarre. It's like, how did they find you? And he explained, and I was thinking, that is so random. But Katie Spade, yeah, kind of, yeah, no, completely. I mean, look, Paul, I, 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 I would, if Paul, I would embarrass him. I think he is such an extraordinary musician and and actually working with him is just one of the greatest privileges it's 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 one of the reasons I'm just well a big reason that I'm just so excited about um you know what's happening at the moment um and I kind of want I want more people to hear you know I just I think the the, the you know when he sends me music I just this is this is so 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 good and I I I, the idea of more people hearing it is it's really really exciting. I think your potentially new record will have a slightly different, yeah, musical sort of avenue. You know, the potential new record that is very much a, a potential twinkle in a potential eye. I mean, look, of course, I think, but I think that's also Blue Boy. You know, I don't think if you if you our music. It, it it doesn't have a sort of um, natural, we started here and then we moved to that. It's like, no, we started here and then we did that and then we did this and then we went right over there and did that and then we thought, what about this? And then we went over there. And it was, it was kind of, you know, it was what interested us. And I think it's the same. You know, I could see us doing very beautiful acoustic songs and I can see us doing really very you know guitar-y full band jump up and down you know um music as well because it's we like all of those things it's back to my you know when I was young I liked it all yeah um Paul and I often talk about you know folk music and that sort of you know juxtaposition with the sort of country we've got so many influences and I think ultimately we just go right let's let's put some stuff down and let's just see 
what works it's back to that alchemy is is it is it exciting us and if it isn't then you know we we do something else yes well this is very exciting i just my brain just worked you know that film that i tried to remember it was back yeah. cafe i do remember that film yeah. Baghdad cafe. It was cafe. i don't know why my brain just worked there uh, yes it was, it was, it was, i can't remember a thing about it i'm sure if you watch, she, I'm, I'm sure if you, if you watch the trailer it would be like oh i remember the whole yes i bought you know but it was one of those it's probably another film that i'm like i just could not quite devote two and a half hours to no. <laughs> if you watch the trailer for two minutes you go oh yes and the band that i couldn't remember was shelly ann orphan which was uh, i think there was a duo and um he's still alive and making new music she sadly passed away but i think she had a cello and they were quite a cute you know interesting but they 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 weren't big with the nme put it that way so right okay okay probably kindred spirits in that case (laughs) and that dear listener is the end of the interview a massive thank you to Gemma tanley for giving me the time to uh, talk about her life in music and much, much more. If you want to find out any more information, there is a very good Facebook page and um, they've probably got other social media platform sites to tune in and turn on with. And hopefully they'll be doing more material and live dates. And um, I'll put also the link to Jane Duffus, her book, which has just come out as well about Sarah Records. This has been the C86 Show. I'm David Easter. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just to C86 Show. All these shows have been archived. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Have a great week. Stay safe.